New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Soccer Show and our preview of France versus Argentina, aka the 2022 World Cup Final. Yes, after 60-something games, we're at the very pinnacle of the world's biggest sports event. And we have a team that lost to Saudi Arabia playing a team that <laughs> lost to Tunisia. Elite stuff indeed. We're looking at how this matchup will flow, how each team's uh, gameplay will go, and whether Lionel Messi will immediately retire and ascend to the heavens if Argentina win. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who's holding out for a headbutt in this final. I don't know why I sung it, Taylor Rockwell, but it sounded cool. I, I don't know which I would prefer, uh, Zidane Part 2 and another dramatic headbutt or or just Messi getting raptured. I wasn't yeah. really ready for that to be part of this preview, but now that it's in there, kind of into the idea. Let's see what happens. I think, yeah, immediate rapture with the trophy in hand, <laughs> and it, it disappears as well. It's gone. <laughs> oh, he gets to keep the So it's it's <laughs> a win, win three and you get to keep it if you're Messi, win one, and ascend straight to the heavens with the yeah. trophy? Five Ballon d'Ors plus, um, plus World Cup trophy <laughs> equals keep it. That's it's gonna map. be tough to, tough to stand on top of that cloud and just like float up there w- with that big giant heavy trophy. But he'll find if anyone can do it, Messi can do it. He's only little; it'll be fine. <laughs> Don't worry, Tata. Don't worry. Joining us, a man who has won the biggest World Cup victory of this World Cup cycle, Fernando Santos. Nil. Joe Lowry won. Congratulations, yes. Joe. Yes. Graham put this in the Slack literally seconds after I had seen it and was also planning to put it in the Slack. You know, I would like to thank a lot of people for this award. And the award, by the way, is, is just me winning this battle against Fernando Santos. Uh, I'd like to, to thank Graham, who's been really my partner in crime in this from day one. He may have been the one to sabotage Portugal in this tournament and to really, you know, drop them out to Morocco. So, Graham, thank you. Thank you, Fernando Santos. Thank you, Portugal. I knew I loved you. <laughs> Joining us, a man whose name you just heard. He's incredibly excited about this weekend's huge, huge game. Sterling Albion versus yes. Four Graham Ruthven, hello. I mean, I feel like you're setting me up to say, no, it's the World Cup final I am more excited for. No, it is genuinely Sterling Albion 4 for Athletic and the pie. I don't care what pie. It could be any pie. I'm just excited. I have thought about calling Sterling Albion and asking what pie it will be. I won't do that, but I will tweet them later tonight. Graham, you, you you can't just say you're okay with any pie. You all know, we all know, and you know this for a fact, that if it's a lackluster pie, you're gonna let us hear about it. That that is true, but I still enjoy a lackluster pie. I just Fair prefer enough. a good one, and then I will tweet about it. I'm just hoping, Graham. The scoreline once again in that game is four four. So we have four 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 four. That was my best uh, Shrek impression there. You're welcome. Yeah, I mean the one that everyone hopes for is East five four 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 five. 
um, in the Scottish lower leagues, but I don't think it's ever happened. Yeah, that hurt my head. Very good. I hope that <laughs> is this what happens? Time. Is this what happens when a group of people go a month without sleep? That it becomes this? Because <laughs> yeah. because this is this is a hell of a start, gentlemen. We're all having fun here, Tater. It's all good, and there's more good news. We can has Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/TotalSoccerShow. Everybody, if you haven't visited already, please do so. Bonus podcasts, videos. Uh, today, I did a video showing you around my uh, recording uh, studio, if we're going to call it that. Um, so I believe we have the complete set from TSS now of uh, looking at the hovels in which we record under sheets. So please do check that out if you wish to. I, uh, I caught your love letter, Ryan. Thank you very much. Yeah, little Easter egg for you, Greg. Mm, You're indeed. welcome. Subscribe Listen. to the Patreon to see what it is. Yeah, exactly. Good, good tease. Good tease. Very professional. Thank you very much. All right, let's get, speaking of very professional, let's get to the World Cup preview here. 2014 finalists versus 2018 winners. Joe, first off, do we feel like we've got the two best teams from the tournament here? Do we? Because quite often that doesn't happen in a final of a, a World Cup, let alone Champions League, let alone any other kind of soccer. But it feels here like we might have come very close to achieving that. I think we've come close, Ryan. I'm, I was going to say no to answer your question about whether we have the two best teams here. Not because I don't think it could be true, but because I don't know if it's true, right? I think France and Argentina are both exceptional teams. If you told me coming into this competition that they were going to be matching up in the final, I would have said, yeah, that sounds about right. We've had a really roundabout way to get there, right, with Croatia and Morocco making the semifinals. Lots of different upsets along the way. A crazy end of the group stage. A really, I think, entertaining tournament sort of as the group stage finished into the round of 16. But at the end of the day, we ended up with two pretty predictable teams in the final, but at the same time, they are not the only predictable teams. I would not have been surprised if you told me that it was Spain or Germany or Brazil. Or I mean, you, can, you can go through a number of different teams. I think Argentina and France are two of the best teams in this competition. I'm not sure even after what they've each played six games. I'm not sure I feel comfortable enough to say that they are the two best teams. But they're, I mean, they're, they're pretty darn close and this is going to yeah. be a fun final. I would say it's the two like most appropriate teams based on the way the tournament has played out, as bland as that might be. Not exactly a headline, but uh, Michael Cox wrote a really good uh, breakdown of the, of the final, preview of the final, and he said a notable feature of this World Cup is the focus on defensive compactness, a curious lack of sides willing to bypass that defensive block with long balls and runs in behind, and basically saying that it's been teams that are willing to kind of set off, be compact, not have any, any space between those lines, and then either hit you on the break or hit you via a star player and so in the final we have two teams that are willing to sit off at times willing to go at you at times uh have many competent players but ultimately are elevated by their two-star performers that does sort of feel like the way this tournament has gone we've had teams with star performers but maybe some of that foundation broke down we've had teams where they've had the foundation but that star performer didn't elevate their game when it was required these two teams have done a really good job of making that happen and so in a way i think that that is really appropriate obviously qatar will also love that it's neymar uh, or not neymar uh, mbappe versus messi in the final they got that's, their dream that's final make them happy yeah for sure Graham, I think you actually, well, we don't, I don't think, believe we have any documented evidence of this, but you claim to have predicted this final on our Bleacher Report <laughs> I'm show. not having this. I'm, I'm going to dig out this this tape. I'm going to email Bleacher Report for this tape. I definitely predicted it. I had France winning it in the end. I'm going to stick with that, even though there's a bit of me that thinks just due to the narrative of Messi, it's, he's kind of destined to win it. But I am very excited for this match. I can't quite believe the World Cup final is on Sunday. Um, I feel this way every four years. It, it kind of reminds me of 
Um, this is going to sound a bit cliched, but it kind of reminds me of being a kid and on Christmas Eve, you can't quite believe that the next day is Christmas Day. It, and that's sort of how I feel because you know whatever happens on Sunday, I'll remember it possibly forever. I mean, France-Croatia from the last World Cup was a bit forgettable. When we watched that before this tournament started, I got the score wrong. I thought it was 5-2, not 4-2. So maybe that uh, kind of disproves my point. But every other World Cup final in my lifetime has had that big lifetime memory moment. And I think we might get one of those on Sunday. Maybe so. Three of the last four World Cup finals, Graham. Nil-nil after 90 minutes. Mmm, memories. Uh don't tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about I, that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that is the question, right? It's like, are we going to get fi- finals are often really dull or, or very boring or you've got teams that don't want to roll the dice or, or gamble with anything. And so you get two teams that are going to be very static. I think that's probably how this game will open up. Again, I think you have those individuals, though, that that's what I think makes these t- teams so much fun to watch is those two individuals in Mbappe and Messi can just do so much on their own that in a half second there can be an opportunity that we didn't see developing. And I think in that way, that does make me really excited that they're the two finalists, because if there was a a team that were maybe going into it considerably overmatched or very much the underdog, you would sort of know what that's how that story is going to play out. You would know what the game plan is going to be. And you run the risk of like we had in the semifinal with Morocco, no disrespect, but they concede in the fifth minute and it feels like that might be it. This World Cup final, if France concedes inside five minutes or if Argentina concedes in the first five minutes, it still feels like both of them have the firepower and ability to pull it back and make something happen. And in terms of the flow of the match, I I think I want an early Argentina goal because if if we get... I get what you're saying, Taylor, but I still think if we get an early France goal like we got against Morocco, there there is a possibility France are good enough to go full Deschamps again. And even against a team as talented as Argentina, they can see that match out, kind of like they did against Morocco. But I think to to get the best spectacle, I want Argentina to, to score and then we'll have France using that front line of, of five with Griezmann pushing up and that's kind of surely going to strain that Argentinian defence. So in terms of the, the flow of the match, I'm I'm supporting Argentina early on because I feel like if they take the initiative, then France are going to come roaring back. But if it happens the other way around, I'm, I'm a little bit more fearful that we might just get Deschamps' ball again. I want to be I want to be optimistic about how entertaining this final could be, right? Because there is always that question, right? I think it was you who said it. Sometimes we get a lot of nil-nils. Sometimes there is something more exciting. Even if the gameplay here, and Taylor, you kind of got to this, even if the gameplay is somewhat limited, right, and, and neither team's really going all out, you do still have the magic of those two individual players, which is something special, right? These are, Messi's already there, as I think the greatest player who's ever lived. Mbappe is an exceptional talent and is incredibly fun to watch. Graham, you said, right, just then you said if if uh, Argentina get an early goal, you want to see France and have to come back. I could even flip it the other way in my head and think, okay, if, if France get an early goal, all that means is we're going to see more of Lionel Messi on the ball, right? Which is, that's what everybody wants to see in this final, right? That's what I want to see. I think that's what folks are, are curious about. It's going to be Messi having to break through a, a nearly, you know, unstoppable, a, ne- a nearly immovable object, excuse me. But, I mean, he's going to have more chances to do it. And there's no player in the world that I would rather watch try to break through a really strong defense than Leo Messi. I, I don't know in my head if there's an ideal way for this game to flow, but I think there are reasons to be optimistic that it will be a fun game, or at least I hope there are good reasons for it to be a fun game. Does it feel, Joe, Joe it feels to me like we're going to see a similar, a, a typical France performance, you know, sitting back, letting the opponent, yeah. opponent have the ball quite a lot and then trying to pounce. And then maybe Argentina being quite cautious as well, which to, to dampen the spirit a little bit, sounds like it won't be super entertaining. Well, it, it's almost like I, I kind of have to think of this as sort of a, a weird soccer game to the point where maybe it's not even 
soccer so much, and I'm thinking of it more as an NFL-style game, right? So one offense gets a turn, and then there's going to be a turnover or a score or whatever it's going to be, then the other offense is going to get a turn. And it's like watching uh, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, right? It's like, it's like watching Messi on one side drive his team down the field, and then they're going to take turns, and maybe there's not going to be a ton of pressing, and then Mbappe is going to get to do the same thing. Maybe that's not the perfect example because it's Mbappe's not really a string puller. He's going to be the guy streaking down. He's a receiver. It's Griezmann. Maybe he's the quarterback. It doesn't matter, right? But you get the idea. I don't think there's going to be a ton of pressing in this match. I think it is going to be sort of we take our turn, we push numbers forward, we turn the ball over, maybe we counter-press a little bit, but then we drop off into this for France, it'll be a mid-block. For Argentina, Taylor, you pointed this out after their win over uh, over Croatia, and you mentioned you know they were starting higher sometimes as well. For Argentina, it could be sort of a pseudo-high press, maybe just a high block, and then they'll drop. I think it's going to be a lot of teams almost taking turns to do that stuff. I think that's what we saw from Argentina against Croatia. For France, we know under Deschamps, he does a lot of things well. I think he set the team up very, very well. He's not going to have them playing high-octane defensive pressing soccer. So in some ways, it could be a little slow, but in other ways, I think there could be some joy in watching like each machine almost work and try to find their way through the other. All right. Yeah. Go on, Tyler. I was just going to say, I agree. I think a really interesting thing for me has been uh, Tony Cruz is apparently doing a podcast about this World Cup. Didn't know that. Uh, but in it, he was mentioning that there are similarities between this France team and his Real Madrid team in the way that they are okay with uh, uh, like the opposition having the ball, not just because it, it presents an opportunity, but because I think by letting the opposition have the ball, have time on the ball, but in areas where France is okay with them having possession, it, in a way, lulls them into a false sense of security, of thinking, hey, this is France, they've got all this talent, and we're moving the ball around, we're doing okay. And I think in that, there can be a little bit loosening of, hey, I'm going to try this pass, I'm going to go on this dribble. And that's what they want you to do. So I, I think that even if they are sitting off... It, it, I thought this after Mor- after the Morocco game when they went one nil up. It didn't feel like Morocco were going to be able to like push through a compact defense, but France were never going to be a compact defense. I don't sure. think they have it in their DNA. So I think in that way they're going to sit and they're going to pounce, but then they're also going to be expansive at times. And that sort of duality is also pretty fascinating to me. Yeah, Ryan Ryan's been googling the Tony Cross podcast. Yeah. While he- <laughs> His eyes lit up, and then you hear the light uh, pat- <laughs> tapping on the keyboard. It's uh, <laughs> it's not just one Cross; it's double Cross. It's his brother Felix as well. And I was trying to look at it's it's called Einfach mal Luppen, and I don't know what it's called. What? what? Excuse me? Yeah, Einfach what? mal Luppen. I, I, but um, get I your buzzer ready. Beat that. Yeah. Luppen is or was. So it, it, the Einfach means easy. I don't know what it, I don't know what it translates to. Is this Robbie Williams reviews? Yeah. Maybe so. <laughs> is this a case where if Tony Kroos has a good podcast performance previewing the final, the final is going to be a good game? Is that Ryan? Does that fall within your theory? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that well, counts or not. Whenever his uh, podcast analysis is good, the game is always good. It's a perfect. guaranteed uh, correlation. Yes, I'm excited right. for that. And Taylor, sorry to circle back. It's kind of like what you were describing there. Some of it sounds like the the idea that we've gotten to throughout this competition of Ryan doing the Bane impression about France, right? Them luring you to think that you're in control. I think you described that really, really well. And I think Tony Kroos is right about that. They make you think that you are comfortable, and it's a trap, right? Every single time, it's an Admiral Akbar-style trap, and then Kylian Mbappe is zooming in behind your back line before you even know it. So I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm, again, I'm really optimistic. I enjoy watching both of these teams. I think they're both flawed at the same time, and maybe we'll get to the flaws later. But I, I think there's so much intrigue about how this game could be played. There is not a clear you know, obvious better team, even though I think France is slightly more talented. They have their own weaknesses. I I, I don't know. I think this could be a, a fun game, and I hope I'm not eating my words by Sunday afternoon. 
Ryan, if you were uh, going to do an impression right now, because I'm not familiar with either of the ones Joe mentioned, there was a Bane impression and an Admiral Akbar impression. Can, can, you, can you enlighten us? Because I don't know what those are about. Come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to get you to do your impression. It makes me happy. Um, I, I'm not your performing monkey, Taylor. I'll do them when I feel like. How about that? Fair, and on that note, fair. let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's dig into this game a little more, a little more of the key players, and uh, we'll try and find out more about the Crows podcast. Back shortly. <laughs> New game day shirt, boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate, boom, cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one... It's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Dealer. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Why don't we dig into maybe some of the potential lineups here uh, and the key players? Graham, are we expecting any huge changes between these teams? I mean, uh, Julian Alvarez, are we expecting him to start? It seems like he's earned his place yeah. in a World Cup final, which is a lot to say for a Man City second stringer. But uh, yeah. I mean, that's damning him with faint praise. But uh, he's he seems to be the choice there, right? I think so. I, I think Alvarez is pretty much nailed on to, to start this game. I think he's become so important to the way Argentina play on, on, on the break and in quick transition. He provides a bit of vertical threat, but he also performs that hybrid role of, of being a wide man in possession and then a front man out of possession really well. We highlighted that after the semi-final. I think on the French side, if I take France first, I think they are more predictable. So I think in terms of how they will line up, Deschamps has been pretty consistent with his selections throughout this tournament. So if we look at the midfield, because I'm going to contrast this, the, the France midfield to the Argentinian midfield, it's going to be Griezmann in that hybrid role. It's going to be Chiumeni in, in the holding slash carrying role. And then it's going to be one of either, it had been Rabiot up until the, the semi-final, and then Fofana came in for the semi-final. So it's going to be a selection between those two. At the back, there's maybe slightly more of a decision for Deschamps to make in terms of who partners Rafael Varane. Uh, Upamecano was ill for the semi-final. I thought Ibrahim Kanati was exceptional in that, in that win against Morocco, so it wouldn't surprise me if he keeps his place. I would ad- advocate for that. I think Upamecano has kind of been 
a little bit of liability at, at, at this tournament at times. And then it's going to be Teo Hernandez on the left and I think Jules Koundé on, on the right. And it's going to be in the attack. Uh, Mbappe on the left, Dembele on the right, Giroud as, as the centre forward. So I, I'm pretty confident that really the only two decisions Deschamps has got to make is who partners Chiumeni in midfield and who partners Varane in, in uh, central defence. In terms of Scaloni, it's a little bit tougher to figure out what he's going to do because he has made changes from game to game at this tournament and it's kind of been the midfield that changes shape and personnel and that's where the change of approach is most evident. I think it will be Enzo Fernandez in central midfield because of the, the the form he's been in and the goal threat he provides. And then from there, though, it could be um, Alexis McAllister, who has sort of done something similar for Argentina to what Griezmann has done for France in terms of providing a body in attack and in midfield and doing that kind of hybrid role. Or it could be Rodrigo De Paul in that central midfield. Um, it could be you know a four three three, or it could be a four four two like it was in, in in the semi-final. And if it's a four four two, maybe Paredes comes into that midfield unit. He's probably their their best passer from deep. So if he's in the team and it's a four four two, I think it's a sign of how Argentina maybe want to to play in terms of having the ball. And and I think it's kind of up to Scaloni to decide the dynamic of this match in terms of how he sets up Argentina. France are going to do what France do. Argentina have kind of toggled between a different approach throughout this tournament. I think 4-4-2 might work best. So the advantage of 4-4-2 against France would be that the wide midfielders could help double up on the, on the French wingers. Obviously, so much threat comes from the wide areas with from France. Um, that also kind of tracks... Teo Hernandez in particular as the, one of the overlapping fullbacks but then the downside would be that kind of Griezmann dropping deep could outnumber Argentina in, in central midfield so there are pros and cons of each approach and I do think Argentina are more adaptable than France so they can kind of decide how this match pans out and they're the team when those team li team lineups come out on Sunday my eye is going to be immediately drawn to Argentina because I yeah. think that's going to be the first indication of how this match is going to go. Graham, I went down a similar path as you. I felt like that that four four two with like a tight sort of midfield that can then pop out and if they need to deal with overloads out wide made a lot of sense. And I think that same Michael Cox piece I mentioned earlier uh, pointed out that one of the appeals of Alvarez starting is that he is happy to do that defensive work and track back and sit on number six or track somebody even deeper if need be. And that allows Messi to basically float and do what Messi wants to do and not have the defensive re responsibility that I think is sometimes tasked on that support striker, that number 10. So in that way, I think it gives them potential numbers in the middle. It keeps Messi kind of floating and finding pockets of space and distracting the defense as well, but it also gives them cover out wide. It keeps a back four. So I think that does probably make sense. I'm not saying that's what they will do, but it would make sense to me if that's the route they went. I think it's it's a bold decision to change from the lineup or something very similar to the lineup that was used against Croatia. At least that's how I feel, because the other options that we've really seen Scaloni lean on in this tournament is Papu Gomez and Angel Di Maria. Those are really the players, unless you're changing to a back five, which I don't think is likely. Argentina did that, but they did it to match the Netherlands, and I think I think that worked well in that match. I don't know that they'll revisit that, so I'm, I'm almost ruling that out, which maybe is a silly thing to do. But I think you would be you would be bold, right, to change out that midfield line because you think about Papu Gomez, he is a passenger defensively. So much fun to watch to the point where I would love to see him start this match, or, or really the same for Di Maria. But I, I don't know that you can go away from having... DePaul and, and, and McAllister and other players in that midfield line, Paredes and Fernandez. I know it's kind of four basically central midfielders. Maybe McAllister is not quite in that category. I know they don't always give you the most going forward, but you have fullbacks getting forward, getting high. You have Messi pulling the strings. And I think that that midfield bank of four with maybe DePaul and McAllister as the, the wide midfielders gives you 
the defensive solidity that you need and almost would be foolish to deviate from to match up with France, and then you still have Messi to go do messy things in the attack. Yeah, Di Maria is, is an interesting one. So feasibly, Di Maria could come in on the on the right side of that midfield. Let me just check who kind of played there on paper against Croatia. That was Rodrigo de Paul. So you're you're kind of counting on Di Maria tucking in um, into that central midfield to make sure that Argentina don't get outnumbered. But the benefit of having Di Maria on that right side is while Teo Hernandez has had an excellent tournament for France, there is going to be space in behind him. And we saw how Messi stole Gavardiol's soul down the, the right side in the semi-final. And if you have Di Maria, you put him on that touchline on the right side, at least when Argentina are in possession. And I think that adds a different dimension to that Argentina attack and maybe just does more to exploit that space in, in behind France. As I say, there's pros and cons of this. I don't know whether he does enough centrally to, to justify that, but that that could be a change that Scaloni could make for this match. Now, if we're talking about key players, there's two obvious key players who are driving the narrative here. Now, Taylor, if I... And we, we, we ought to talk about this battle, if we're going to call it a battle in quotes. If I was trying to explain to someone who didn't know about soccer, if I was trying to encourage them to watch this game, Mbappe versus Messi would be like a narrative that you just kind of point them to to look out for. These two guys are supremely talented. These are the guys to watch. So, though, so we have to acknowledge the fact that this is essentially, in some views, like one of the most important narratives of this game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's no getting away from that. They're they're two of the biggest names in the world when it comes to world football. Uh, they're at like I think for Kylian Mbappe, he is reaching the height of his game and the height of his fame, and we've seen everything he's capable of doing uh, already uh, with with France. And then with Lionel Messi, he, he continues to be a force. He continues to be so good uh, at facilitating play, at scoring goals himself, at at just being a player that defenses are terrified of. And that's the thing both of them have in common. They're both the type of player that if you're overly focused on them, if you're trying to do everything you can to shut them down, maybe you'll be able to do that. Even then, they still seem to be good enough or have the ability to find a way through. But it also then means that you're not focused on the other players around them who are also very, very good. And so I think overly focusing on them is to your detriment. Under-focusing on them is certainly to your detriment. They become almost unplayable in a certain way. And it's fascinating that both teams have that that type of player. Mm. It's interesting, Graham. Looking at the semifinals, Kylian Mbappe didn't shine too brightly, I think it's safe to say, mm. whereas Lionel Messi had one. Um, so yeah. it's, it's going to take something, <laughs> it's going to take a lot of alchemy for those two to both have 10 out of 10s in this game, isn't it? Yeah, so looking at Mbappe there um, initially, he has in, in France's last two matches, teams have come up with plans for defending primarily against him, or basically their whole defensive game plan, looking at England and then Morocco, has basically been how to stop killing Mbappe and England had Kyle Walker who even though he got rinsed in that foot race down the down the, down the, the left side of that one instance generally speaking did a decent job and obviously it's not just down to Kyle Walker but nonetheless England were were generally effective at stopping Mbappe and then Morocco had um, uh, Hakimi and he obviously can also kind of match Mbappe for, for pace and just make sure that kind of close him down quite a bit in that match as well. I don't see who's going to do that for Argentina because just being quite reductive about it, they don't have a left back as good as either of those guys. They're going to have Molina or Montiel in that position. And if it's Molina, he likes to get forward at will. And Montiel, I think, is quite vulnerable defensively too. 
So I think of the two, Mbappe, it feels like Mbappe is set up to have the better game of the two. Having said that, Messi defies logic. And uh, you saw him, I've mentioned that already, just demolish Gavardio, who was one of the players of the tournament up until the semi-final on, on, on Tuesday night or whenever that was. And he can do that. You, you can have the perfect tactical setup. You can have players around him. You can swarm Messi. He, can, he has the ability to just dribble through you. And it wouldn't surprise me if we saw that also. So I, I, I understand that there's other things to look at. Griezmann, for me, is going to be maybe the key to this match, particularly for France. I'm really excited to see what he does in this final. I think there's a there's the potential, actually, for us to come out of this thinking this was the Antoine Griezmann final rather than the, the, the Mbappe or the Messi final. But nonetheless, there's no getting away from it that the, the Messi-Mbappe narrative is a strong one, an interesting one. I know Taylor loves it when I throw in, throw in tennis analogies, but it re- reminds me a little the bit best. of Sampras versus Fuzzy Federer. Ball, <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of Federer, um, yeah, Federer versus Sampras in the early 2000s where you kind of had that the passing of the baton moment. I don't know if that's going to happen, but nonetheless, it's, it's, it is interesting. Indeed. Um, Joe, Anton Griezmann has dominated a lot of the narrative going into this game and indeed after many of France games because he is so important he's a I'm going to make a weird analogy you know in olden times when there was uh, fancy people riding in a carriage no Joe doesn't know olden times okay like (laughs) before before 2012 yeah are we talking about the 90s the 80s what are we where are we in Let's let's go 1780s. There's a carriage, and a gentleman lays his cloak down on a puddle so that a dame can walk over it. Griezmann's the cloak. I I, I think I like it. Sorry, I'm kind of reeling because that ended faster than I thought it was going to. I thought it was going to be the person putting yep. down the cloak. Well, he, he can be the, the person too. And then is Mbappe the person walking across the cloak? I'm still trying That's to. That's right. Okay. That's right. Running across it. So we know from the U.S. failing to qualify for the 2018 World Cup that having someone carry you or provide some sort of means across some standing water does not always tend to go well. So maybe France don't want this to be the case. But Ryan, I think you make a good point, right? In that Griezmann is the one who helps make France tick and and the, the fullest form, the final form of France ticking is killing Mbappe doing ridiculous things, right? And in order for him to do that, a couple of things have to happen. The first thing is he needs space to run into. And and credit to Didier Deschamps. So I don't think he's done anything really mind-blowing with this French team, but he has consistently, and by consistently, I guess I mean 2018 and now, set his team up in a very logical way. Not a mind-blowing way, not a way that I feel like if the four of us sat down to do it together, maybe this is a bit of inflated ego on my part, but I, I think we could have cracked a similar code. Whether we could command the locker room and speak French is a different discussion. But he hasn't done anything crazy, right? But one thing he has done is set the team up very, very well. They don't always press. We've talked about that. And inherently, by not pressing, they bait the other team into coming to them, and they break in behind. And Mbappe is one of the two best players in the entire world next to Erling Holland at breaking into space and behind the back line. So that that kind of serves as, as half the cloak. But the other half of the cloak might be Antoine Griezmann, right? He is the playmaker in this team. He has been better than I think I've ever seen him be before. And I, I know there's some of there's a lot of Antoine Griezmann footage out there that I haven't watched, but I'd like to think that I've watched a lot of his performances. He is doing a lot of the very flary, fun stuff in the attack. He is creating chances at an elite level in this competition. He's drifting into space. He's slipping in behind the back line. He's keying attacking moves for France, which I would argue is a very uncloak-like thing to do. He is like, if Mbappe wasn't on this team, Griezmann would be the star. He would be the guy walking across the water, or maybe he and Dembele would be the, the two. But the, the thing that I think is especially cloak-like about Griezmann is, I've really carried this analogy very, yes, very far, but I kind of yes. like it, Ryan. It's good. 
is his defensive work, right? He is a huge reason why Mbappe has space to run into. He's the reason why that France don't get broken through. He's the one tracking back to occupy space in central midfield. So Mbappe doesn't have to do that. Instead of it being like a regular 4-4-2 defensive block, like we'll probably see Argentina use on Sunday, it's it's not it's not Griezmann and Giroud who are high as the two. It's not the nine and the ten. It's the nine and the eleven. It's it's the striker and it's the left winger. Mbappe is high. He doesn't track back. He doesn't do any of that stuff. Giroud works his tail off to cover space centrally. Mbappe shifted high to the left, and Griezmann drops into the midfield line so that whoever's partnering Chouameni in that space can shift over all the way to the left side, whether it's Fofana or Rabiot. And Griezmann is the one who keys so many of those defensive rotations and structure stuff that makes France work. So yeah, really long-winded explanation for me to justify your analogy, Ryan. But I do think there's some truth to it, and Griezmann, for me, is absolutely a key to this match on Sunday. You're doing the Lord's work, Joe. Thank you. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm out of breath, man. Good gracious. (laughs) Taylor, to jump back to the Messi-Mbappe thing, obviously there's a golden boot race here. Both players on five goals at the moment. And I tweeted words to that effect uh, after the semi-final after the semi-finals, and I got some replies saying, oh, this 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 narrative is going to take up way more bandwidth than it should. And I get that, and I agree. It's a team sport. We shouldn't worry about these kind of things. It's like the Ballon d'Or in some ways, but may- maybe not in others. But there is a scenario where these two players are gunning for... They- if it's important to those two players, and it's more important to us than it is to, th- uh, more important to them than it is to us, th- it might affect some of their decisions on the field. Do you know what I mean? I do. I don't know if it will. I I, I think I don't, I, can... I don't know if that applies in a World Cup final. Yeah. Frankly, uh, yeah, that's where I am with it. I think I think you could like we want that to be the case because we want them to care about scoring goals because we want them to make it like an individual battle where they're both doing everything they can to to win that Golden Boot race. But I think there's a, there def, there's definitely a reality when they're just doing that anyway, regardless of the Golden Boot, because I, as we've established many times, he's established many times himself. Messi can create from nothing, uh, and I think will be used as that distraction to pull defenders out and have people step with him. But uh, if they don't do that, he can turn and fire one in between like two different defenders' legs from 25 out, perfectly into the side netting, and and he will take those opportunities. He will. I guess for lack of a better way of putting it, be selfish because if that's what the game requires, he is the player that can do that. And I think the same goes for Kylian Mbappe. I think both of them, especially if it's if it's nil-nil late or if their team is one-nil down, both of them are going to be doing everything they possibly can to score. And maybe if that means it's equalizing or going ahead in the golden boot race, then there's a little added incentive. But I think for the most part, it's going to be about, I'm going to pull this team over the finish line, come hell or high water. A lot of water analogies on this episode for some reason, but here we are. <laughs> yes, indeed. And a World Cup in a desert. Irony? Maybe. <laughs> sure. Maybe yeah. the two are related. It could maybe be. they it could are, be. indeed. <laughs> Graham, are there any particular areas of this game where it will be won and lost, do you think? Does it count particularly on a superstar performance from a certain player, or is there a certain tactical decision do you think will uh, greatly impact the outcome of this game? Well, we've, we've kind of all co- uh, already covered, I think, two um, important areas of this match. So one of them is transition for for both teams both Argentina and France are about getting into moments of quick transition we saw that from Argentina in the semi-finals where Alvarez in particular was lightning on the break and I think he's going to be a a key player again for Argentina in this match and then obviously for France it's about Mbappe and and even Usman Dembele to a certain extent getting in behind and so I think that is going to be um, key for both teams how they exploit the space in behind in the fullback areas I've already kind of spoken about that and then again the the midfield battle and and how those teams 
set up. And my, my fear is that the, the midfield battle and the tendency, tendencies of both these managers make this quite stodgy. Um, but my ideal scenario is that this is this is end-to-end and that both teams kind of bypass their, their midfield or that's kind of similar to what Joe was talking about in terms of teams having a turn at attacking and in which case the, the midfields are not really there to control the game but are there to conduct attacks. So we're going to learn very quickly, I think, in this match within the first 10 minutes what the approach is going to be, what kind of match we're, we're going to get. And I think those are going to be the the tells in terms of what the dynamic will be. And the, the, the key players for this game, it's all about Messi and Mbappe and how Argentina and France harness those players. But I think Griezmann, we've spoken about him, I think he's going to be very important for, for, for France as he has been throughout this tournament. I think Christian Romero for Argentina... And this is more of a, an, an individual point than anything tactical. But Christian Romero has to stop himself from being too Christian Romero in, in this match. All those quick actions and nimble footwork from, from France in the attacking third. That makes me very nervous thinking about Romero steaming in there as, as he tends to do. <laughs> he has a tendency for throwing in a reducer in the, in the first kind of 10 minutes of the game. And you don't want him on a, a yellow reducer. card for, for a lot of that match. And <laughs> if I'm Scaloni, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the Mourinho to Balotelli thing of please keep your cool keep on your feet, don't get a red card. Of course, the the, the, the conclusion of that tale with Mourinho is Balotelli gets the red card. So maybe a, maybe a different outcome for Argentina. But from an individual point of view, I think Romero is going to be very important as well. Graham, on the flip side of that one, I would say the same goes for Dio Upamecano. Uh, that was, I almost had him as one of my specific predictions, but there were too many conditionals. So I will just say this here. If he starts and if Argentina scores, he will play a role in that goal, either by stepping out when he shouldn't and leaving space or maybe diving in and, and conceding a penalty or just making some sort of defensive error. I think he is equally capable of those mistakes. And then he's equally capable of being a world-class defender that can just shut down a game. And so it, it's just going to be fascinating as to which of those games we end up seeing seeing and which performance sort of rises to the occasion on a similar note when you're talking about wanting it to be open and hoping it's open a thing I hope we see because I think it will be a very good indicator of the openness it's it's a thing that uh and it goes to Ryan your question about like if there's neutrals watching this one like ways of talking about it um the Kylian Mbappe 30-yard touch is one of my favorite things that happens. And it's when he's running down the line, he's got somebody who's closing, they're almost neck and neck, they're stride for stride. And they're stride for stride because he is sprinting at full speed while dribbling the ball. And whenever that happens, he always gets to this point where it looks like he's going to go out of bounds. And he takes one 30 or 40-yard touch and then is like, now it's time to open it up. And he hits like fifth gears, I don't know, whatever gear it would be, but he is at a next level and he just cruises away from that person. And that, to me, is an amazing thing to watch. You can see just like the raw speed uh, and ability to control that ball. But then also it means that there's space in behind. It means that it's opening up. It means that he's not just getting fouled and Argentina isn't just sitting really deep and not giving him that opportunity. I hope we see that touch because uh, it's electrifying, but it also means the game is pretty yeah. spread. It's really weird when he takes that touch. It really it's is. almost like he's not playing football it's you don't really see anyone do that yeah. like, like he's basically just putting the ball in an area of the pitch and then running after it it's, which it's like it's I like know, the joke in cartoons of like the quarterback throwing the ball and then running th- like up yeah. the field and then catching it himself it's a little <laughs> bit that yeah i mean when you have that physical pace and you break it down like that he can just put the ball in an area of the pitch and then run to the ball yep. it kind of seems like cheating a little bit but yes yeah, it is electrifying when he does that and it's especially great because so often you'll see the defender like if because if, again if you're new to if you don't know what's coming you'll be like why isn't the defender getting in the ball he's only 10 oh i see why because like but before he could have gotten there mbappe's already back on the ball and it's such a like 
it's like a bait move as well. Uh, so it really, it's a thing I hope we get to see. Uh, and then we come up with more strange analogies for it. Joe, um, Graham mentioned the potential for physicality in this one with, with the reducers and such. We have a France team who um, did a lot of fouls, certainly in the England game. And we have an Argentina team who've got a yellow card or two from at least one specific game in this tournament. Do you think this is going to be tasty? I think it could be. And, and my VSP, I'll spoil it now. Why not, right? We all got to get these out sometime. My VSP for this game is that Argentina are going to pick up at least four yellow cards. So I think about how prone they can be. And I, I, this is not new ground. This is why I'm spilling it out now instead of waiting till the end and having it be anticlimactic. But, I mean, a ton of yellow cards against the Netherlands. Nine by my count right before we started recording. And then Otamendi and Romero each got a yellow card in the semifinal. They are very much prone to come in and make aggressive challenges. And I think you can say a similar thing about France. I wouldn't expect France to have that same number, but a lot of this can change based off of how the game plays out, right? As teams get desperate, maybe there is an early goal that changes the calculus here. There's so many different ways this can go. But yeah, Ryan, I could see this one being tasty. I could see it being feisty. I could see there being some reducers. I could see there being some long touches. Now I think I've convinced myself. I am fully optimistic about this game on Sunday. I am. I'm psyched because this one could have a lot of different things that we've sort of chattered about already. Yes, that's the spirit. While we get the VSPs out, let's go around the horn. Then Taylor, you got one. Uh, I do. I got to pull it open because it was so very specific. Uh, it is that uh, Argentina will aim at least one direct uh, ball down their right channel for Molina inside the first 15 minutes. I think that is an area that they will try to exploit. That left side for France, given Mbappe's uh, ability to get forward, but then proclivity to stay forward. Teo Hernandez sometimes drifting inside, sometimes getting forward himself. I think at the very least, Argentina will want to probe how open that is. Maybe Deschamps does something different. I saw some speculation he'll start Mbappe up top and put Marcus Taram at left wing, and then Taram can do more of the defensive side. That would be a pretty big gamble to change things from what's been working. So I think, uh, regardless, Argentina will will try to go direct down their right, uh, uh, France's left, just to probe and see how much space there is and what opportunities there might be early on. I like it. Graham? So I am... Um leaning heavily on this being the Antoine Griezmann match. I think he's going to have more key passes than any other player on the pitch. Uh, Lionel Messi, that guy, he's leading the tournament for key passes at the moment. So there's a bit of peril there. If he turns it on, then I'm not going to get this point. But I, um, yeah, this is a combination of head and hunch. So my hunch is that we're not going to get the Mbappe-Messi duel that we all want. And other players will decide this match. And as I say, I think one of those players will be Griezmann. He'll be the one that makes things happen for France for all the reasons that I think Joe outlined. And I think there will be a period to further the kind of prediction. I think there will be a period of this match where the onus is on France to create. I can see Argentina taking the lead. And Griezmann had four key passes against Morocco. That was higher than any other French player. Um, So I think we'll see something similar from him in this match. All right, very good. I think I'm going to combine head and hunch with mine as well. It's relatively simple. Um, goalless after 90 minutes and Argentina will win with a late goal late in extra time. Uh, that's the hunch part with the uh, the late goal in extra time. But I just feel like this one, for, for reasons outlined, is going to not have any goals in regular time with the way France play, with the way I think Argentina will be cautious Um not not just because of the occasion, but because of the setup there. And as I said, three of the last four World Cup finals have gone to extra time. Um, two of the last three were nil-nil after 90 minutes. Four of the last five have under, under two and a half goals as well. So 
uh, I mean, the, the last year was basically an outlier having so many goals in it. So I, th- I think we're going to have a low scoring game. And I would say a nil nil is is very, very tempting there. Yeah. And I, I, I can't justify why it wouldn't be, won't go to penalties. But something something tells me that this one will be settled in extra time, as as indeed several of the most recent World Cup finals have with Spain and Germany we- doing that, right? When was the last good World Cup final? Are we counting 2018 as a good World Cup final? I know there's six goals, but it was it was pretty lopsided, yeah. and I think it was four one at a point. Was it? I think I think potentially. 2006. In terms of the match, though, it wasn't very exhilarating, as far as I can remember. But I take your point that stuff certainly happened in that game. <laughs> it's probably memorable 2002 stuff. or 98. 2002. Like, yeah, 98 was yeah. definitely good. 2002. 98. Yeah. Yeah, I'll take we're, doing, we're doing a bang up good. job of getting people excited about this game. The last good one was 20 <laughs> years ago, if that helps. Have fun this weekend, guys. Oh, we're due. Boy. We're due for a good one. It's it's the movie maker logic. We'll keep making sequels. One of them is going to be good eventually. I'm sure. That's right. There you go. That's what I keep on Fast and Furiousing, right? I'm sure. Of course. I'm sure. Anyway. The most furious. The most furiousest. <laughs> right, guys. Uh, another quick break. When we come back, let's take a look at our teams of the tournament. Back shortly. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Shopify, who would like to remind you that not everyone can be Erling Holland or Harry Kane. I would say only Erling Holland and Harry Kane can be Erling Holland and Harry Kane. But more to the point, not everyone can score the number of goals that those two score. Not everyone can set the goal-scoring record. Sometimes you've got to be the teammates. Sometimes you've got to be the assists uh, person. You've got to be Kieran Trippier or Kevin DeBarna. You've got to spread the ball around. You've got to help facilitate that attacking play and those goals to help get the results you want. Because you need that perfect teammate. And when you need a perfect teammate when it comes to growing your business, Shopify has you covered. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. That feels like a good stage to be at. Shopify is there to help you grow along the way. How do they do that? Well, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. You can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So you don't have somebody kind of following you around the online store just saying, can I help you, can I help you, can I help you? Nobody needs that in real life or online, but Shopify's AI gets the job done. And that is a very unique aspect of Shopify that no matter how big your business is, and that's something I really appreciate, you can be a a podcast just starting up, a podcast that's been here for a while, or a business that actually makes money. Either way, uh, Shopify is going to help you because that's what they are all about. Sign up for just $1 per month uh, trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Uh, One more time, go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We have done a rousing job of getting you excited for this um, thrilling encounter that's going to happen this weekend. Uh, Morocco, Croatia, of course, I'm talking about there on Saturday. <laughs> Everyone's looking forward to that one. Um, the, I think um, the best description I've come up with uh, that game so far is Pro Bowl vibes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but fun. like not as well because it's Morocco, Croatia. <laughs> no offense to either one of those countries, but yeah. But in terms of the lack of peril, the fact that they've both technically been eliminated and it all being a bit of a procession. But, Maybe uh, like the East-West Bowl, college football style? No, that's not, that's not it either. I don't know. We'll find it. MLS All-Star? 
it's being played in yeah. a resort fantasy land where like like the people who are there actually probably don't want people there. Is that is that one? Hawaii MLS is back third place game. Yeah. yeah, there we go. There we go. That didn't exist, but that or uh, or Ryan, the one you just said, which I've already forgotten, but I remember thinking at the time, no, that was that was good. It was hey now you're an all star. Ah, oh yeah, MLS all star. That's that's a good one as well. Yeah, good stuff. Anyway, uh, why don't we talk about our teams of the tournament and see if we can reach some kind of consensus here? Taylor, do you want to kick off? Maybe tell us who your goalkeeper is in your team of the tournament. Lavakovic uh, from Croatia. I think he comes up with as many saves as he does, both in regulation and in the shootouts. Uh, I think he was a force for his, his national team and an ever-present sort of source of stability. So I had him as my goalkeeper. Anybody else any changes on Lavakovic? Joe? Oh, yeah. I do oh, not. Sorry. It sounds like Graham maybe does. Graham, go. Ooh, Graham. Yeah, so I'm, I went for a goalkeeper who had more than one beautiful day at this tournament. I've gone for Bono. Nice. Very not just nice. for the pun. Very good indeed. But also for the pun. But, but also, yeah. yeah. That's part of the reason. Mesley. <laughs> Mesley. Um, backline, Graham. Uh, centre-backs. So this was where I had the most trouble. Um, you've gone straight to the, the point that I'm least confident on. Okay, so I've gone for Roman size as one of them. I know the semi-final did not go to plan for him, but I think that's down to injury more than anything else and maybe the decision-making of his own manager. So I've gotten size in there. And then I was struggling to think of another standout performer because... I was considering Gavardio, but he just gets so <laughs> comprehensively destroyed by Messi in that semi-final that I couldn't think of a, a a defender who has had an excellent match in every game they played, an excellent performance in every game they played. So I've kind of gone for a consistent option. I've gone for Rafael Varane just because he's been good in every game. I don't really have much more of an argument than that. I just think consistency is the reason I put him in my team. I think in a way, not having a lot to say about him is a positive thing. It means that he doesn't stand out in an obviously bad way, which means I'm guessing if you go back and watch him play, he's doing more quietly competent things uh, that would put him as a consistent performer. So yeah, I think that that's a good shout, Graham. Who else is, uh, who's in your CBs, Tater? Guardiola and Romero, because I like chaos. Uh, I, I, both of them have had their moments, Guardiola especially, but I feel like against Lionel Messi, I, many defenders have had that moment. It's sort of a rite of passage in my mind. Uh, but I think he, he was another very uh, important performer uh, for Croatia, and then I think for Romero, uh, has, has done the same for Argentina, has shepherded that back line, has been a, a motivational figure as well and a good leader for them too. So uh, those are my two center backs. Okay. Joe? I have Guardiola as well, although I was very tempted to drop him for the reasons that Graham said. But it is, it is hard to play against Messi, so I'll, I'll, I'll give him a pass on that one. And then I have Rafael Varane as well, so there's some similarity there with what Graham had. I think Varane has done so many things well at this competition. I think he's an excellent center back. I've got him and Guardiola. Good stuff. Um, let's go full, uh, fullbacks, Joe. Who have you got there? Okay, I want to see, I'm, I'm glad none of us went with the back three. I, I don't know if we'll have any shape changes at any point, but I'm kind of cheating because I'm using a wing back here as, as one of my outside backs, but it doesn't matter. It's basically the same thing. I have Denzel Dumfries as my right back. Yeah, you nice. played right wing back, torched the U.S. in a way that I'll never forget. And you know what? He deserves some credit for that. And then I have Teo Hernandez on the left. Luke Shaw tempted me seriously in this left back spot. I thought he had a very good tournament. There's a number of other players that I think deserve mentions here, but Dumfries and, and Hernandez are my two fullbacks. Yeah, retweet for me. <gasps> Look at us, two. Graham. Look at us. See, I was, huh? man, I was going to say Achraf Hakimi uh, over Denzel Dumfries until I remember that in Fair. the group stage, he, he didn't play very much, actually, or didn't have as strong of a performance. I think he is an early substitute in a couple of their games in the group stage, and I remember him not having 
as much of an impact as we thought he would. Obviously, he has in the knockout round, but I feel like Denzel Dumfries has been important or was important to the Dutch from start to finish. So I, I will switch mine. I'll go with that one. You all have made me a convert there. And then I had Teo as well. Wow. The the reason why I didn't put Hakimi on my list is because Morocco let me down with my VSP of them scoring a goal that was created yeah. from the right side. And so I just couldn't bring it. I didn't have it in my heart to, to put Hakimi on this list. Yeah. Joe's now yeah. a colonialist. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa now. Hey, what? <laughs> hey, boy. Let's move on swiftly, Graham, to your midfield line. So I've gone for three in midfield. I've gone for Sofiane Amrabat. I've gone for Jude Bellingham. And I've gone for, of course, Antoine Griezmann, who I could maybe argue is my player of the tournament, actually. So that's my three. Okay. Jude Bellingham pre-France game? Um, I can't even really remember how he played in the yeah, France exactly, game. Exactly. Was he bad? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he still did enough in the other matches, I think. Fair enough, yeah. He was, he was really good in, in at least two games for, for England. This Man of true. the match stuff. Yeah. I'm not disparaging Jude Bellingham. I just thought he was productivity. He was a little lower in that game. Uh, Taylor, your thoughts on that? The one that they won 6-2? to two? You were mad about his productivity? No, the France game. Oh, my mistake. I thought you meant the very first game. I understand. No, uh, I, was... I had, I was, that's where, where I was a little bit head-scratching. Uh, I have a 4-2-3-1. So as my two, I guess, more defense-minded midfielders, I had Amrabat and I had Chouamani, uh, is as my sort of double-pivot anchors. Chouamani can maybe get forward a little bit more and score some goals. Amrabat will uh, be locked in the middle of that pitch and not letting anybody get by. Nice. Joe? This is when I said to Taylor before we started recording that I think I said you can't do a team of the tournament wrong. That's probably not true. It's it's very hard to do it wrong. And I think we've all gone for different midfields, but they are all – I don't think you can make an argument against any of the ones that we picked, right? All of these are good. My midfield, I have a four-two-three-one as well. So I have Luka Modric and Jude Bellingham. I mean, anyway, nobody can argue with that. But nobody can argue with Chouameni. Nobody can argue with Amrabat. They're all – they've all had phenomenal Modric, performances yeah. – and then I have Antoine Griezmann as my number 10. Taylor, I don't think you said your 10 because that technically comes later, but I'm going to toss mine in there as well because Graham did. I've got Griezmann as the most attacking and then Bellingham and Modric. I, I, it's not wrong. None of these are wrong. You, know. you, can't, you can't mess this up, people. You can't. I had, I had Griezmann in there as well. Yeah. Okay, there it is. The other one I was considering, and he just got squeezed out because I thought other players had been slightly better or at least had kind of lasted longer in the tournament, was Bruno Fernandes, who I thought had an excellent tournament and had Portugal gone you know, further, gone to the semifinals, I think more people are talking about how good he was. I thought he was Portugal's best player at this tournament. Very nice. Uh, Graham, why don't you complete your team? Yep, so my front three are... Two are not going to be surprising, yep. so Mbappe and Messi. And then my third forward, I've gone for Julian Alvarez. Um, I think he's sitting on, what, three goals at this? Four, I think, right? right? Yeah, I just think he's... Obviously, he doesn't start the first couple games, so he's got le- we've got a, a less of a sample size for him, but I just think the impact he's had in that Argentina team, and I suspect he might have a say in the final as well, so I'm kind of preemptively saying after that match there might be more of an argument, an even better argument to put him in this team. But yeah, he's my kind of centre forward in this team. Nice. Uh, Taylor, do you want to finish out your team? Any any um, surprises? I don't know. Gonzalo Ramos, someone like that? I, uh, no, no big don't surprises Google it. for me. Don't, don't, don't search his name on Twitter, by the way, whatever you do. Oh boy, oh boy. Yeah, uh, one of those I situations. Had, I, Griezmann was, was like one of the ones that I almost left off because there are so many 
other possibilities for that like final attacking spot for mine. I had Gakpo in the conversation, Modric, Unahi, even I was really impressed by him from Morocco. But I have it as uh, Griezmann, uh, Messi, Mbappe, and then Olivier Giroud was my striker. Uh, for narrative purposes, for goal-scoring purposes, uh, for Ryan getting to gush about his attractiveness purposes, all of the above is why Giroud is my uh, striker of the tournament. I, I wouldn't talk about John Sto- uh, another player behind John Stone's back like that, frankly, Taylor. <laughs> but thank you. For you couldn't even say that without first saying John Stones, so I believe you. <laughs> uh, Joe, uh, complete your team, please, sir. Messi and Mbappe, those are easy. Messi on the right, Mbappe on the left. And then I I told Taylor that I was going to go with Julian Alvarez, and then I reconsidered and went with Richarlison. So we all have different number nines, oh, which I think is fair. Richarlison, for me, is the biggest victim of what Graham said about Bruno Fernandes. It's, that, it's the symptoms of being axed from the tournament before maybe we were ready to see them go. Richarlison, I thought, had one of the biggest impacts on Brazil's run. I think he is incredibly unfortunate to have, number one, to have that tattoo. Number two, to get knocked out <laughs> on a fluke to Croatia, which is really what I, what I believe, at least, that goal was, that Croatia scored to equalize an extra time. I think Brazil were the better team in that game. I think if you play that match a lot of times, Brazil win most of the a lot of times. And Richarlison, I just thought, was was really useful for them in, in a lot of different phases of play. So I went with Richarlison as my number nine. Boom. I like that. That's, um, he's definitely up there with Neymar and original Ronaldo, at least on the back tattoo. Yeah, so. no, of course. If if that really is who those people are, because at this point it's kind of hard to tell. <laughs> it is indeed. All right, I think there's one thing that left to do on this here podcast. Let's get a score prediction for the World Cup final. I've given mine. I think it's going to be 1-0 Argentina after extra time. Why don't we say Leo Messi gets the goal as well? Because hashtag narrative. Taylor, what you thinking? 3-2 France. I'm going for goals. Oh. I think that it's going to be open and fun. That's what I want it to be. If it's not, I feel like it will be 1-0 Argentina. So I'm going 3-2 France. Uh, Giroud hat-trick? Yeah, why not? Sure. No, I, mean, I would like, I would like Griezmann case. to get one. I want Griezmann to get one. I want uh, Mbappe to get one. And then, yeah, Giroud gets one as well. Griezmann picks up the cloak off the floor, triumphantly puts it on his shoulders for one goal. I like it. Yes. Griezmann is the cloak, so how? I don't I don't understand. Cloak magically lifts <laughs> off the floor and floats <laughs> majestically in the air for one goal. Joe. The Doctor Strange situation. <laughs> Solved it. Yeah, good work. Um, Ryan, I don't know. I really I really don't know. I'm going to go 2-1 one, one Argentina because of Lionel Messi, <laughs> but I think France are probably the slightly better team. So this is my heart picking, not my head. Lionel Messi is going to win the World Cup. Joe, is this one of those times when, because uh, I've done this before and I kind of did this today, uh, when you knew this was coming, you were like, I'll get to that in a minute, yep, and then you forgot yep. to do it until the last second? Perfect. <laughs> Ryan in our break was like, should we talk about score predictions? And I said yes, and it waited until just now when it was my turn to figure it out. Yeah. Very good. Very good. <laughs> well, we, we know how much you love doing predictions, Joe. It's so part, much. Of, uh, part of your character. Uh, Almost as much as least... doing a quiet, uh, a quiet Ryan Bailey impression when saying score predictions. Did, did anyone else hear that? I really enjoyed that one. Shall we do score what predictions? What did I do? <laughs> ah, score prediction. Uh, yes. That's working class Ryan Bailey. Yeah, exactly. Man <laughs> of the people, Graham. Man of the people. Uh, your score prediction, please. 2-1 France. Griezmann and Mbappé. Good. That's my prediction. Cool. All right. Well, listener, uh, thank you very much for joining us on this one. And Graham Rothman, thank you for joining us in your pillow fort duvet fort of doom. Thank you. It is very warm in here, Ryan Bailey. I'm not going to lie. Drinking tea, got a zippy on. It's a zippy, just to clarify, that is the correct term for, for it. But yes, thank you, Ryan Bailey. That was enjoyable. Nice warm home in a cost of living crisis. You could do worse, Graham. Could do, indeed. <laughs> Taylor Rockwell, <laughs> thank you very much, sir. Thank you, my friend. <laughs>
<laughs> and Joe Lowry, thank you again for your contributions, of course. Right back at you, Ryan. Listener, thank you again for joining us. We love you very much. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye. bye.